0: First Christian, we're super glad you're here. I'm Scott, pastor, evangelist, minister, whatever. We're super glad you're here to worship the Lord and to sit around um, a a communion table here and to read um, the scriptures and to sit under the authority of the Word of God. And so we want to encourage you to open to Luke 19. We've got a lot to get to, so I'm going to be doing this quickly for this part before the sermon here. Luke 19, 11 through 27 is where we'll be hanging out today. If you need a Bible, guest services folks are walking down the aisles with one. Just grab their attention, hold up your hand real quick, and they'll get you one. I'm going to be brief and fast about this stuff that happens before the sermon because I've got a lot to tell you about, so get ready to drink from a fire hose. We are starting three... Different services in two venues starting next week. It's going to look like this. 9 a.m. upstairs and 1045 upstairs and downstairs. We are doing this because the mission of helping people find and follow Jesus is about creating capacity and space for them to be with us in our personal lives, in our corporate lives. Uh, for the record, there is live music and live in-person preaching at all three services. There's been some question about that. Don't worry about a <laughs> Don't worry about how that's going to work. It's, it's magic. It's Disney magic. Uh, we'll make it happen. Um... Holy Spirit magic. Here are a few ways that you can be a part of this, and surprise, surprise, they all go with our habits. Um, the first is to engage in worship, uh, preferably downstairs if you can. Uh, we need about 75-ish people to commit to that downstairs so we can make some more space in second service. Um, so if you're willing to try third service, go to fccgreenville.org/third. Fill out a little form, takes 20 to 30 seconds. If you're just willing to go downstairs and try it out for a while, um, that would help us a lot. Second is to serve in a team. We have lots of things that we need help with. Um, Guest services, parking, greeters, coffee servers, hospitality, praying, uh, care team. We also need some new helpers in kids, men, and children's ministry because we have to divide three classes into six classes um, because we cannot have 20 kids in one classroom. That's called pandemonium. Um, We want to be able to divide that so we can do um, justice to that uh, environment and to train those kids the best we can. So if you're willing to help in any of those areas, see someone back in the hub with a yellow Connections name tag. This next one's the simplest to engage with and to help us with, but it's also the most important. I'm just going to say it simply. Please join with us in praying for humble hearts that are about the glory of God. Humble hearts about the glory of God. Next one is to pursue generosity. And at FCC, we pursue generosity as an act of worship that acknowledges that God is truly king over all of our lives. And so we're asking you to help us uh, financially. We're not usually a church that does a lot of asking about our general fund contributions um, because the Lord has just sort of organically blessed us for a long time. Um, going back many generations, in fact, all the way to 1919 when we were established, almost 100 years. Yes, that's coming up soon. We have no debt. We have been running the surplus for a number of years. In 2016, that surplus was $35,000. We work hard to be wise stewards of the money we take in each week. Year to date, we are in the black. Almost $8,000, meaning to the good. During a time of year when we are typically about $8,000 in the red. Praise Jesus. But... But even though all that's good, we are a growing church and starting a third service and ho- who knows, hopefully a fourth. Um, yes, I said that out loud. It means that we need to continue to be faithful with the people He's given us. And God's giving us more people. So for a third service, for example, it costs about 10000 to prepare downstairs for that third service. Right now, we are printing more bulletins. We are working on a new website. We are uh, purchasing more communion cups and wafers and baptism T-shirts and paper towels. And we need to upgrade our Internet connections and equipment. All of these things are needing more funding that, frankly, we didn't know we would need when we put together the 2017 budget because we didn't know we'd have 75 on average more people per Sunday. So we have no intention of taking our foot off the gas pedal of the mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. And we believe that pursuing generosity is a part of that mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. It's an important part of creating personal and corporate capacity for the mission of the gospel. So if you're a part of FCC in any way, whether you're brand new or you've been with us for a long while or you're a tender or you're a member, we just would like to ask you to prayerfully consider what you might be able to share with our general fund. Whether that means beginning to give or increasing your giving, whatever that means for you, it could mean 2 bucks and 50 cents a week, $25 a week, $250 a week, $2,500 a week. Please, Jesus, make it so... The amount you decide is between you and your family and the Lord. Um, that's just Bible right there. You can give through our iOS or Android app or the website that should still be on screen, guys, up top. Uh, give to sec.org. Um, just make sure you choose um, the part that says general fund contributions. Um, lastly, tell the story. Um Invite friends and family. We have invite cards. Be praying and thinking about people who could come along with you for that service next week. Let's go ahead and get to it. A lot of great stuff in Luke 19 and then we'll pray and uh, get our hearts right to hear from the Lord. Luke 19 verses 11 through 27 says this, As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put the money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them. Bring them here and slaughter them before me. Let's pray, friends. Lord, we quiet our hearts to sit under the authority of the truths of Your Word. Speak to us through Your Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask that today You would make us a people, make this a place, make me a man where You alone reign as King. Lord, teach us today to steward our lives well. In the name of Your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
1: I get it. You want to do God's work. You want to do your part for the kingdom of God. I get it. But that's a bit scary. I mean, what if you fail? What if you look silly? What if you don't even reach your goals? Look, I'm a disciple. Talk about fear of failure looking silly or crazy. Or I mean, I left everything to follow a man by telling my friends and my family that I was going, fishing for man! You can imagine how well that went over. <laughs> but here I am. I'm doing what I know God wants, even though others don't get it. Remember, your salvation isn't just a one-way ticket to heaven. It's not that you're just waiting on some bus, but while you're waiting on that bus, you are working for God and His Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Don't forget.
0: There were two guys who were working one day and they had a shovel each and they were digging away and uh, somebody nearby watching them started to uh, notice what they were doing and began to see that um, all these two guys were doing with these shovels was digging holes and covering them back up. One after the other, after the other, after the other, digging holes and covering them back up. And that's obviously kind of weird. So this bystander comes over and walks up and says, what are you guys doing? You're just digging holes and covering them up. One after the other, after the other. Well, the workers were kind of defensive and uh, they felt a little surprised that this random bystander would question their work. And so one of them said, listen, our job is to dig the holes and fill them. The guy who plants the trees, he's sick today. (laughs) Kind of funny, kind of sad. Friends in the kingdom In the kingdom, until Jesus returns. When you don't show up for work, stuff doesn't get done. Until Jesus returns in the kingdom, when you don't show up for work, stuff doesn't get done. Today's message is a bit of a a Christian business meeting (laughs) of sorts. If you're a non-believer or you're skeptical about this Jesus thing, you get a, a bit of a pass today. This isn't so much directed at you, though indirectly it's important to hear what being subject to the king involves, to being subject to the king and what it looks like. Um, but if you have identified with Christ and you follow him and you are subject to his lordship, well, welcome to this week's business meeting. Welcome to the team business meeting this week. And the agenda today is really simple. It's three words. It's not hard to understand. Three words. Do your job. Are we all clear? (laughs) Following. Let's look at Luke 19, starting in verse 11, and see where we get this. Great parable told by Jesus here. It says this. As they heard these things, we'll talk about these things here for a bit so we understand the context. He proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Now, before we move on to the text here, what are these things that they had been hearing and that they were expecting of Jesus that prompted him to tell this particular parable? Well, in the immediately preceding context, Luke has just told us about the encounter between Jesus and Zacchaeus, which is exactly the sort of thing that they had been hearing about this Jesus. Now, if you grew up in church or in Sunday school like I did as a kid, then you probably remember Zacchaeus. If you don't uh, and you didn't go to Sunday school as a kid, well, let me just tell you, Zacchaeus, he was a wee little man. That's sad. You all knew where I was going. (laughs) He was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. You all remember doing that. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, now press pause, because at this point in the song, because apparently... Every single one of them used the same manual. All the Sunday school teachers who have ever lived would wag their finger at Zacchaeus, as Jesus obviously would have done, right? And she would say, Zacchaeus, you come down. One wag per word. For I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. The moral of the story, of course, um, is that climbing up trees will get you sent to hell. That's what I heard as a a kid. Actually, of course, the moral helps us with these things. The moral is what helps us understand what Luke is referring back to in verse 11. So look there at verses 9 and 10 where Jesus tells us about the moral of this Jesus and Zacchaeus thing here. He said to him, to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house. Meaning, this is the sort of declaration that only God, that only the Messiah can make. Today, salvation has come to this house. Since he, this is Jesus talking to Zacchaeus, since he, meaning Zacchaeus, is also a son of Abraham. Jesus has here declared Zacchaeus' sins forgiven. That's a big deal. Verse 10, For the Son of Man, Jesus still speaking here, And he's claiming to be the Messiah using that messianic title for the Son of Man. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came as Messiah to forgive sinners like Zacchaeus. So back to verse 11. These things that they had been hearing were things like this Zacchaeus incident. uh, Jesus coming to forgive people from their sins. So the people that were following Jesus, listening to all this, were in a frenzy about this guy Jesus as He approached Jerusalem and as He approached the temple because they were sure that this meant But the kingdom of God was going to come in its final, in its full, in its complete form. They were thinking, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He's going to take over in the temple because the end is near. Heaven is beginning and God is finally going to set everything right in the coming of Jesus. They're all excited. And Jesus knows, Jesus knows that they're thinking this, that their expectations are off because they were wrong about the timing. Jesus knew that they were thinking, oh, this is the end. Now start again at Luke nineteen eleven, And notice here how Luke is tipping us off to show us that Jesus told this parable to correct their misunderstanding about when the kingdom was going to be completed and as a result, what they should do about it in the meantime. Look at verse 11. Start there again. As they heard these things, Jesus is coming, the end is near. He proceeded to tell a parable, earthly story with a heavenly meaning, because He was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Now now listen closely. In order to correct their misunderstanding that Jesus had come to fulfill their desires and their expectations. Verse 12, He said therefore, in other words, to correct their misunderstandings, a nobleman, meaning somebody who was born into royalty, Jesus qualifies from the line of David as a king. In this case, a nobleman who is not yet king because, verse 12, he went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then someday return. It was like this in their day when a nobleman became king of a territory. He had to go off to Rome to receive the official confirmation of his position as king. So Jesus is saying in effect here, I'm leaving you here for a while and I will come back later to finish what you're expecting now. Which is why this is key, I'm giving you The responsibility to carry on the work, which is why I'm leaving you in charge. Verse 13. Calling 10 of his servants, remember, this is Jesus still telling the parable. Calling 10 of his servants, obviously they're trusted because he gave them 10 minas. Minas or minas, either way work. um, Either way works. Uh, 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 Those 10 minas, by the way, are about four months of wages for an average worker. So he gives them 10 minas, all 10 of the servants and said to them, this is the instruction that he gives them, engage in business until I come. This is the command from the master, the nobleman. Engage in business. Now the word here for uh, engage in business, uh, in some versions it's trade. Uh, That word, there is the Greek word pragma, P-R-A-G-M-A, from which we get our English word pragmatism. Now, this is important. (laughs) The master is saying, do something practical with this money until I return. Take this resource I am giving you to steward to take care of and do something with it to make more money. So, ten servants, all entrusted with the same amount of money, with the job of doing something practical with it to earn more money. Simple instructions, go do practical work that makes more money and do that until I come back. Don't miss this, Christians. (laughs) Don't miss this. He is saying, do not merely sit around and get caught up in enjoying theorizing about what to do, But go out and do it. Which, if you've ever had resources with which to do anything, which is all of us, then you know that this involves personal risk. Friends, the problem for most Christians in our country at least is not so much that they don't know enough about what to do, But that they lack the courage to do it. Our problem is not that we don't know enough, so much as it is that we lack the courage to act on what we already know. So the master, the nobleman, says pretty clearly. Engage in business until I come. (laughs) But, verse 14, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. They bucked against his orders. This sounds like the Israelites in the desert. We don't want to follow Moses. I am so tired of this manna. What is this stuff anyway? Uh, Take us back to Egypt where we sat around pots of meat and we ate all the food we wanted. This is not much different than us. I do not want to follow and be under the authority of anyone else on the planet. That's the American motto and mantra. And Christians sanctify this for themselves for all kinds of absurd, selfish reasons. I refuse, this is the mantra of most in our country, especially with Christians, to be under the authority of, let alone let alone to be in the authority of a group of, of elders. Not gonna, I'm not going to do that. We, in effect, are saying the same kind of things that the people in the text are. Well, let me give you another example. Let me give you another example. I am so tired of this dumb little town with no nice restaurants. I have to go to Johnson City or Knoxville or Asheville to do anything exciting. Friends, when we are always longing for the supposed other, better thing out there, instead of the provision of God that he has right in front of us, we are in effect declaring to him, we do not want this man to reign over us as king. And the provision of God that is right in front of us isn't enough for us. We have an effect said, I do not want this king, I do not want this man to reign over me. And the truth is, this is where a lot of Christians live, though they would rarely admit it. Because when our desires aren't satisfied as we expect, we find ways to justify ourselves and to explain and justify for ourselves why we don't need to show up for work. When desires in life aren't satisfied as we expect, we begin to justify for ourselves why we don't even need to show up for work anyway. And when we justify to ourselves reasons we don't have to show up for work, friends, stuff doesn't get done. God God doesn't work in us as He wants to. Someone else has to pick up your shovel in addition to theirs. We need people to show up and plant trees. So the Master says, while I'm gone, until I return... It's really quite simple. Do your job. It's not hard. It's not hard to understand. The Master says, engage in business. Engage in business. And His own people say, ah, we don't really want to. When He returned, day of reckoning, verse 15, Having received the kingdom, meaning now the master has returned as outright king, when he returned, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. It's reckoning time. There are three examples. The first, verse 16, came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little... You shall have authority over ten cities. Faithfulness with the little things is rewarded with authority over much. We look at people who have authority over much and we always assume they got there with a lack of integrity. But this is something where, where, where Jesus says, you're faithful in the little things I will reward you with authority over more. You do your job, the king will notice. <laughs> you do the job, and the king will notice. Look at the second example. Verse 18. The second king saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, You are to be over five cities. I'll say it again. Faithfulness with the little is rewarded with authority over much. Do your job and the king will notice. Do the opposite. It's also noticed. Watch this. Verse 20. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. This servant simply buried the money for what was perceived by this servant as safe keeping. Which is to say it was actually about self-protection and distrust of the king. Who are you to tell me what to do with these resources, king? Another came saying, Lord, verse 20, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. Here's the reason why. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. This is the... This is the servant's assessment, which is actually a misunderstanding that's further defined by the next phrase. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow, which is to say the servant misunderstood the king delegating authority to others as something that was actually uh, not worthy of trust. He says you take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. This is a misunderstanding on the part of the servant. He thinks it unfair that the king has people working for him, To do his work. The servant misunderstands his own role and doesn't recognize that the king owns it all, including the servant's very life. So so this, this distrust and this misunderstanding of the servant's role and who the king was, the king's world and economy becomes the servant's own demise. Look at verse 22. He said to him, the king said to the servant, I will condemn you with your own words. You wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man. Taking what I did not deposit. And reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. If indeed I am, as you say, severe, then in your own self-interest you should have at least invested the money to avoid what you knew would be coming to those who wasted my resource. As it is, as, as you've seen already, I reward those who steward my resource well so that the kingdom will bear more fruit. Jesus continues the parable. And as He said to those who stood by, take the mina from Him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to Him, thinking Him unfair, Lord, He has ten minas. They also misunderstood. Here's the principle stated again. Verse 26, I tell you that to everyone who has, because they have been faithful stewards, more will be given so that the kingdom will advance. To everyone who has, because they've been faithful stewards, More will be given so that the kingdom will advance. But from the one who has not, because of being a distrustful and a selfish steward, even what he has will be taken away again so that the kingdom will advance. (laughs) He finishes, but for these enemies of mine, but as for them who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Friends, the enemies of the king will end up as they desire not being subject to him and yet being subject to him. Friends, hell, which is the end result of a kingdom of self, is a tragic and scary end for the self-chosen enemies of the king. Now friends, the lesson for us is clear. Do your Job Now I realize that investment for kingdom growth can feel risky and scary. It requires courage. <laughs> but for what other life and for what other resources, or for what other king are you waiting? that would somehow motivate you to be more faithful and a more courageous steward. Friends, in the kingdom of God, it is worth summoning the courage to risk because God bears fruit in and from the lives of those who show up for work. In God's economy, (laughs) your work now, will mean kingdom growth and gospel fruit in ways that go way beyond what we can see or understand. 1 Corinthians 15.58 is a cool verse and it says that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. To be a faithful and a courageous kingdom worker requires trusting that God will use your work to bear fruit. Now realize that can be hard when it's tempting to feel like your work doesn't matter. It's easy to get there in life. It's called the frustration of the curse of creation. Our work doesn't do what we think it's supposed to do. And life is filled with unfulfilled desires and dreams and outcomes from our work. But friends... In God's kingdom, in God's economy, your work now will mean kingdom growth and gospel fruit in ways that go beyond what we can see. And here's why because you and I are not in charge of the results, the king is. I want to end with a little story about Vincent van Gogh. We're going to show a video in a second here. We apparently mispronounce his name. You'll hear it the way the Brits say it here in a second. It's a Dutch name, so it sounds different than our Anglo-sized version, but we're going to go with Van Gogh. Vincent Van Gogh is considered today uh, to be one of the finest painters who who ever lived. But here's the the thing about Van Gogh. (laughs) Uh, Despite all of his amazing use of color, Uh, and his very advanced sense of style. Uh, During his lifetime, Van Gogh lived with massive bouts of crippling depression. He lived in almost total obscurity and, and pretty serious poverty. He is thought to have sold, at most in his lifetime, one single painting. Poor Vincent couldn't give the stuff away. So Van Gogh, his whole life, struggled with this sense that my 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 work, my work just doesn't matter. My work just doesn't matter. We're going to show you a little clip here from Doctor Who. Any Doctor Who fans? All right. Um, Doctor Who is a BBC show where they travel through time to to different worlds. Uh, and in this particular clip, they have just. Uh, brought Van Gogh. He doesn't know, even know. He doesn't even know what's going on here. But they have just brought Van Gogh uh, to 2010 in Paris to the Musée d'Orsay to see uh, the fruits of his labors that he never got to see. Let's watch this. Where are we? Paris.
1: 2010 A.D., and this is the mighty Musée d'Orsay, home to many of the greatest paintings in history.
0: Oh, that's wonderful.
1: (laughs) Uh, Ignore that. I've got something more important to show you. Take
0: all your chances while you can never know when they'll pass you So Like me, trying my hardest to explain.
1: Of oh, yes, glad to be of help. You were nice about my time. Yes, and today is another cracker, if I may say so, but I just wondered, between you and me, in uh, a hundred words, where do you think Van Gogh rates in the history of art?
0: Well, well big question, uh, but to me, Van Gogh is the finest painter of the new. Certainly the most popular, great painter of all time, the most beloved. His command of color, the most magnificent. He transformed the pain of his tormented life into ecstatic beauty. Pain is easy to portray, but to use your passion and pain to portray the ecstasy and joy and magnificence of our world, no one had ever done it before. Perhaps no one ever will again. To my mind, that strange, wild man who roamed the fields of Provence was not only the world's greatest artist, but also one of the greatest men who ever lived.
1: Vincent. Sorry. I'm sorry. Are you sorry? Is it too much? <laughs> no. They are tears of joy. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you. You're you're welcome. You're welcome. Sorry about the beard.
0: Someday, when the reckoning happens and God's economy <laughs> works itself out in ways we can't understand yet or even imagine, your work today will be shown to have not been in vain. Friends, God made you with a whole host uh, of important And unique talents that He wants to use for His glory. You are a kingdom resource. Don't waste it. Steward it well. You never know this side of heaven how God is going to use your work, your gifts, your talents, your sacrifices... Friends, in just a moment, we're going to pray and we're going to sing a song together. Uh, And that song is an invitation uh, to take a step toward greater care of your life as a kingdom resource. You see, friends, this is the gospel. For our sakes, Jesus stewarded his life in perfect faithfulness to the masters, to the fathers, to the ultimate king's will, so that in His own death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus provided for us eternal riches and spiritual blessing that we could never earn. He exchanged our filthy rags of sin with His own white robes of righteousness. And He clothes us with a royalty we would never otherwise know. When we sing in just a moment... If you sense the Lord nudging you to repent or to respond in faith to that good news, uh, there are a few ways to do that. Uh, Maybe you're not sure about where you stand with the Lord and what the stewarding of of your life thing means, but you know that God's calling you to do it and you want to figure that out. That's the beginning of a conversation that we want to have with you. Uh, We're going to have people who come up in just a second who have been praying for you. They want to care for you. Uh, They want to be a part of that conversation with you. Maybe today is a day where you identify with Christ in baptism. And to identify with Christ is to say the old me is dead and gone. That's why we go all the way under. We bring you up, don't worry. Uh, but it's a symbol of that death, the drowning of the old man, being raised to new life and resurrection because of a Jesus who is still alive today. Maybe that step for you is to commit to the church as a member, uh, meaning As a a baptized believer in Christ, as a follower of Jesus, you say, I want to be a part of the whole. You see, we learn what it is to steward as a piece of the body. Not on our own, as a piece of the body. And so when we commit to the church as a member, it's to say, Lord, use me as you will. Um, So in just a moment here, um, we're going to sing... Let's go ahead and pray first. Father in heaven, indeed, we ask you to teach us to steward our lives as you did the life of the Son who used his life for us and gave us the ultimate example of selflessness the ultimate example of faithfulness to the Father's will. So Lord, continue to teach us. Continue to move us further into the kind of sacrifice that looks like the sacrifice You made for us. Lord, teach us to steward the resources of our lives well. ask this in the name of Your Son, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.